Okay, Luke chapter uh, 19. Um, if you've been around in the church or if you're a visitor today, we've actually been doing a series on Luke's gospel. And we happen to be at chapter 19. Uh, we couldn't work it so that you could get chapters 1 and 2, which is the Christmas story, although we did a bit of that last week. So we're kind of out of sync. But actually, we have got it planned that we arrive at the end of the gospel around Easter. Okay, so that's, that's where we're going. That's clever, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Nobody planned that particularly, but it just happened. So we're at Luke 19. I just want to read the first, not going to do the whole chapter, but we're going to read the first 26 verses, which should be appearing. Oh, there you go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because, for, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth came to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners, but, or sometimes translated as pounds in different versions of the Bible. But this money, to put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained with it. First one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a small matter like uh, a small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man and you take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners, miners, or even miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. 
But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So here's the question. What is the kingdom of God like? What's it like? You've been living in it for quite a while. What's it like? I know you always wonder where this is a rhetorical question, but if you want to shout out things, what's the kingdom of God like? It's what, sorry? Exacting. Loving. Interesting. <laughs> it's always interesting. <laughs> Fun. Unpredictable. Joyful. Powerful. Okay. Well, if you were here a couple of evenings ago, Paul... Paul Bungay there was, was just taking us through some of the teaching on the kingdom and uh, kind of trying to describe it to us and saying sometimes we find it a little bit difficult to get our heads around, well, what is the kingdom? But actually, that's a question you're faced with every day. So, so often, our teaching has been around, often around the church and not around the kingdom. So the kingdom mentality is something that we've consciously tried to develop. So do you want a kingdom mentality? If you like this sort of thing, if you don't like it and it's really cringy, don't bother. But you can put your hand on your head and say, Lord, give me a kingdom mentality. Can we do that? Lord, give me a kingdom mentality. Because it starts between your ears, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't finish there, fortunately, but it does start between your ears. How you think will determine how you act. So if you've got a good answer to what is the kingdom, you'll know what to give other people. Because actually the kingdom is something you give away, isn't it? Jesus came down, we celebrate that at Christmas, to bring the kingdom of God, the good news. The good news started when he arrived, and then he developed it throughout his ministry. He was always, that was his favorite message. That was the keynote strap line, if you like. Jesus of Nazareth, bringer of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? And what you've got here is two pictures of the kingdom. One picture centered around an individual, that's Zacchaeus, and one picture centered around this parable of the pounds or the miners, which is different from that in Matthew 25, which is the parable of the talents. Some people think they're exactly the same, and they have a lot of similarities, but they have a slightly different message. And it's interesting that Jesus takes out time, and he kind of knows that people have different learning styles, doesn't he? All right? You've got a learning style. It's probably very different from the person sat next to you and the person on your left and the person on your right. We all look at things differently. So Jesus comes and brings us things in, in different kinds of ways because he wants to get his message home. He wants us to know what is the kingdom so that we can both live in it and develop in it. So one thing, I didn't know Pete was going to say what he said this morning. Probably he didn't know either. And, uh, but he was uh, just saying we want you know, to, be, to have the best health statistics in the nation. That's the kingdom, isn't it? If the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy, if it's health and healing, which we believe fundamentally is, if the body of Christ is present in an area, it should be bringing healing to all those people around, whether that's physical healing or emotional healing or spiritual healing, right? The word salvation that Jesus uses in this parish, 
passage with Zacchaeus is the word sozo. And we know, we should learn, know by now if you've been around this church for a little while, the word sozo is the word salvation. It means healing. It means deliverance. It means spiritual uh, reconciliation to God. It means all those things. It's one of those big Bible words. Can we say it together? Salvation. Right? Sometimes we've reduced it to just being saved. Which actually is glorious in itself. And usually what we mean by that is somebody has been forgiven for their sins. They're going to heaven. They're going to be with God for eternity. They've been saved from sin and been saved into the kingdom. But the salvation word is much bigger than that. That's big, but it's even bigger. So for you and me to be bringing the kingdom of God in an area like this is to be bringing health and healing to everybody. That's why we're good news. Aren't we? We are good news. So I went to a service station on the way around the M25 just, just last week. Went up to, bought a copy of the Times. And uh, sometimes I would buy the Guardian. And <laughs> just for balance. And, uh, and uh, yeah, the Telegraph, well, that's so right wing. Anyway. Um, go up to the counter. And the guy's just behind the counter. And he's going, he's kind of bowed over like this. And without thinking, I said... Hey, are you okay? He says, no, I've got a tummy out. He said, would, would you like me to pray for you? And he kind of, uh, before he could say yes, <laughs> broke all the rules and reached my hand over the counter and said, Jesus, just heal this man in your name. And he kind of, <laughs> he looked at, looking around, checking who's watching, you know. <laughs> and uh, when I say broke all the rules, I didn't quite, you know, didn't wait for an answer. I thought, well, the guy's sick. Come on, I'm here. I've come round all the way around the M25. I've stopped for a Costa coffee. The least I could do, apart from drinking the coffee, is, you know, pray for somebody to be healed. And, uh, you know, he didn't get any immediate improvement, but we kind of hung around. We still had one or two things to, uh, we actually bought a present for our son in the, one of the shops, believe it or not. And, um, it wasn't his main present, but you know, it was just a little present. And <laughs> what can you get on a service station for Christmas? And uh, anyway, afterwards, I go over to the counter. He's still serving. I say, how are you feeling? He says, oh, I'm feeling better. That's great, isn't it? You can be good news wherever you are. You have healing in your hands. Just look at your hands. Uh, you've known them for a long time. You've been attached to them for all your life. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick, didn't he? Now, we all know the power comes from God, but God has used you and me to operate, operate in the non-surgical sense of that word. <laughs> Careful with doctors present. You, you'll be called to operate, to, to operate God's kingdom, which is health and wholeness. Peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. Peace. The shalom peace includes total well-being, physical health. Spiritual health, emotional health, the whole, the whole of you. Okay, shall we take one picture at a time then? Here's the first picture. By the way, this, this passage comes in what is known as the royal progress. This is Jesus going to Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to die, be handed over to the authorities, be crucified, and on the third day rise again from the dead. So he's on that, what they call the royal progress. And even though he's got all that in, uh, in the back of his mind, even though he's prophesied that to his disciples and being the disciples that we know them to be, they don't understand a word that he's saying and uh, can't really understand why, you know, we're going to Jerusalem to die. 
Surely we're going to Jerusalem to set up a physical kingdom of heaven because that's what the concept that most of the disciples probably had. And yet Jesus is trying to wrestle with their misunderstanding and their doubts and their fears. At the same time, you know, we're facing the greatest climax of his life. He's still able just to reach out and heal blind people. He's even got time for a little man called Zacchaeus. Now, I kind of wondered what it would be like for Jesus to be on a treasure hunt. This is what it's like for Jesus to be on a treasure hunt. Okay, location, Jericho. Appearance, a sycamore tree with a small man in it. Now, if you got that as a, as a clue, you, can, a, can a sycamore tree support? No, it probably can. You'd wonder, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Name. Zacchaeus. Now, if you got that, I'd be great. Jesus did that one. <laughs> I can do that as well. But anybody had that? Anybody had Zacchaeus as a name? Okay, I'll just plant it in there in your brain somewhere. Okay, Jericho, small tree. Uh, sorry, small, small man in a tree. A sycamore fig tree, actually, isn't it? And uh, uh, what's the, the name? Thank you, Zacchaeus. And a need, salvation. He needs salvation, doesn't he? He may have other needs, but he needs salvation. And I thought, unusual. What's, are there any unusual ones in the story? Any unusual ones? Well, what it, what's unusual here, of course, is that Jesus being a Jew, Zacchaeus being a Jew, but Zacchaeus is the worst kind of Jew, isn't he? He is a collaborator with the oppressors. He's a collaborator with the Roman government. He is taking your well-earned money and not only taking probably what is about 40% in terms of tax, but actually charges you on top of that, or gets his workers, because he's a chief tax collector, he gets his workers to charge you for their own wages and his wages as well. So probably he's got people working under him who are taking their cut, he's taking a cut, and after, as well as the 40%. So maybe it's 50 plus percent. This guy is taking money from all those people around him. No wonder he's regarded as a sinner. Sinners and tax collectors, they are synonymous. It's a bit like sinners and lawyers, you know, in America. <laughs> it's an American thing. Is they don't, why, why is it that Americans don't like lawyers? There's so much, so many of them, I suppose. But anyway, um, can't quite think of the equivalent here. But they, in the New Testament, they get lined up as the same things. And he's a chief tax collector. But Jesus ignores all that. Jesus, Jesus is on a treasure hunt. Jesus says to him, you know, Zacchaeus, I must come into your house today. Now, again, Jesus breaks all the evangelistic rules of being, you know, developing a conversation, developing a bit of rapport with somebody, you know, sort of uh, welcome into your house. And then three weeks later, getting round to the gospel. <laughs> now, you can do that. But there are, for me, the Zacchaeus story underlines, folks, there are no formulas. Are there? Anybody tried this Jesus Zacchaeus evangelistic approach? You've tried it? The next non-Christian Ubuntu, I'm coming to your house today. Now, don't make it into a formula. Just let, let God lead you. This is what Jesus does, isn't he? He is led by the Holy Spirit. Whether he knew he was going to bump into Zacchaeus or not, we will never know. Whether Jesus was on a treasure hunt, I, we would never know. That may be the worst piece of exegesis I've ever done. <laughs> but it was kind of fun to do it. But, <laughs> okay? But what you've, got, what you've generally got here is Jesus is always ready to be Jesus. Isn't he? 
Wherever Jesus went, he was Jesus. Did you know that? That's one of the most profound things I'm going to say this morning. And that same Jesus is in you. So Jesus is, to be, is ready to be Jesus wherever you are as well. That's why you can reach over the counter at the service station and say, be healed in Jesus' name. Because Jesus is there. In you and in me. And wherever Jesus is, he's always Jesus, fully Jesus, fully God. He doesn't tone himself down so he can fit inside you. Does he? That's why Jesus said to you and I, you will do greater things even than I have done. He's looking forward to doing greater things in you than he did in himself when he was here on earth. (laughs) Not that he was in himself, he's always, you know what I mean. Okay? That's why you are a bearer of the kingdom of God. That's why you have the keys of the kingdom. That's why you can unlock sin, you can unlock sickness, you can unlock even death itself. And we are pressing in for all of those things, aren't aren't we? If you are in this church, you're on a journey. Okay, that's why it's sometimes a bit uncomfortable, sometimes a bit challenging, sometimes even a bit difficult. Because actually, it's not about sitting on the, I was going to say the pews, but we've got nice, (laughs) nice cushioned seats now. It's not about just arriving on a Sunday. It's being on a journey together, bringing the kingdom of God. And here we have this amazing picture of how it looks like, what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes into the life of an individual. Jesus is ready to give himself away. Jesus is ready to be himself wherever he is, and he's calling you, as you work out the kingdom of God, as you live in the kingdom of God, as you carry the kingdom of God, as you have the keys of the kingdom of God, to unlock all those situations, you are carrying that wherever you go. So here's a little exercise for you. Jesus has just bumped into the most unlikely convert of his time, or one of the most unlikely converts of his time. This man is not expected to be religious. He's not expected to be spiritual. He's not expected to be interested in the Messiah. He's working for the enemy. But of course what Jesus knows is that deep down inside, he doesn't like that. He doesn't want to be in that position. He'd rather be saved. He'd rather find salvation. Despite the mistakes of his life, deep down inside, there's a longing for the Messiah. There's a longing for Jesus. I want you to think of the most unlikely person that you can think of in your life where you think that would be amazing. I just cannot believe that that person could ever become a Christian. Now, I know you're going to be very religious, uh, uh, very spiritual and say, I believe everybody can be saved. But be a bit more honest than that. (laughs) Well, keep keep that belief because that's a good belief. But you know, there may have been people that you've been around. Maybe they're people that you work with. Maybe they're people in your family. Maybe they're people that you've known for years and you think, when, oh when, oh when, are they going to become a Christian? I've prayed for them. I've given them Christian books. They've been to carol services. They've been to special guest services. They've even done an alpha course maybe. Or maybe they've done nothing of those things. They wouldn't, even, they wouldn't darken the doorstep of a church. You know, that kind of person. If, 
what Jesus did with Zacchaeus is true, which we believe it is. And if that same Jesus is in you, you can bring Jesus to that person, can't you? Somewhere in the future, and it may be the near future, you are going to encounter that person or that person is going to encounter Jesus. Maybe even they're overseas at the moment. Maybe you've got friends overseas. But I just love them. But I just cannot, I cannot imagine. If folks, if you're thinking of somebody at the moment, you think, I cannot imagine them becoming a Christian. That's your person. So I invite you just to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, just bring to our mind one, or maybe you want to do more than one, the most unlikely person that I know who I can't imagine them. I'd love them to become a Christian. I believe you have the power to save them. That's not the issue. But I can't imagine them getting saved. And yet you saved a man like Zacchaeus who was chief tax collector. He was a sinner. And yet you said salvation has come to this house today. And he got gloriously turned around. So you got the person in your mind? (laughs) Just ask God to bring them into the kingdom. Father, we just release your spirit all over all those people. I've got a person in mind as well. Prayed about this before I came. Father, just touch them right now. In prayer, Lord, we just release your kingdom over the most unlikely people. Because that's your kingdom coming, Lord. That you will transform the person who seems most far away from you. That you you love to bring people who are far off and bring them near. You love to spread your kingdom wherever wherever you want to spread it. (laughs) And that's just about everywhere. And Father, we just pray for those people to come into your kingdom now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just raise your hand if you prayed for that. Pray that prayer with me. Yeah? That's a couple of hundred people who are being confronted with the love and grace of God, isn't it? Right? Well done, church. You can all go home now and have a cup of coffee. Oh, sorry. No, we've got one more power, one more picture to do, so we'll quickly do that. Okay. What's this next parable got to do with the kingdom then? Let's uh, remind ourselves about it. It's called the parable of the miners or the pounds. And it's interesting, isn't it? In verse 11, it says, while they were listening to this, which is the story of Zacchaeus, you don't, often, you don't always get this in the Gospels, it's not always sequential, but Luke's put them together here. So the story of Zacchaeus is intimately related to, with what's going to follow. So, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Remember, he's just said, they've just seen this amazing miracle. They've seen this collaborator, this, this chief tax collector, this sinner, turn to Jesus and say, look, Lord, here now, an evidence of his conversion is he gives half of his possessions to the poor, and he, which is good news to the poor, and good news to all those who have been cheated. I'm going to pay back four times the amount that I cheated anybody out of. That's transformation. That's, he's just had a financial sozo. Well, if you know, if you're familiar with Sozo. Zacchaeus is the original. I'm, this is not in the book. This is copyright. You have to pay me to use it. <laughs> All right. This is the first, the first, I don't know, the first, it's certainly one of the best financial Sozos that you'll see. Here's somebody being saved. 
But, so they see that and they think, right, the kingdom is coming right now. And whoa, we're back on track. I know in the back of their minds, the disciples might have remembered that Jesus said, I'm going to die, be handed over to the authorities. But, you know, let's just ignore that for a moment. It's all good news. People are finding salvation. The kingdom is about to arrive right now, right here in all its fullness. Everybody be healed. Everybody be saved. Uh, The Romans will be overthrown. We'll have Jesus will be king. And the rule and reign of God's kingdom will be a political reality, a geographical reality, a spiritual reality, a reality in every sense of that word. That's what some of them were expecting. So in that context, Jesus tells them this parable. It's a kind of strange one. It's, it is different from the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, you've got a master and his servant. Here you've got a king. Well, that's great. A king, that's what we wanted to hear. You are the king, Jesus. You are going to rule and reign. You know, there'll be no more emperor, no more uh, Caesar, no more all his governors. You will be supreme here on the earth. So great. Here's a parable about a king who has ten servants, and each servant is given a coin, a miner. That's worth about three months' wages, by the way. Right, so even in relative terms, that's a that's a quite a chunk of money, isn't it? Here's three months' wages. I'm going away, and this was the practice. Both Herod the Great and his son Archelaus, who was the governor of Judea, had to go to Rome to have their kind of kingship endorsed by the emperor. So Jesus is talking about that kind of background as well. So it wouldn't be unusual for a for somebody to leave an area, go to Rome, be endorsed as a king, and then come back. So he's talking about a king who's about to leave and then come back. And when he comes back, he comes to rule in the reign. Now, here's the clue. God's kingdom is coming, but the king then is going to go away, which Jesus already talked about because he said he would die and rise again from the dead. Not sure if he's got to the ascension yet, but that's Jesus leaving. Okay, the king is coming, the kingdom is coming, but the kingdom is also in the future. So what Jesus is saying here is that he is going to be a king, but he's not going to be a king who stays around for very long. He's actually going to depart. And in the meantime, the servants are the people who are going to do the work. Hold it so far. Each of them has a coin. Each of them has three months wages. They are expected to invest that. The the, The coins, if you like, are symbols. They're symbols of people's lives. So what are you going to do with your life, Jesus is saying? What are the servants going to do with their lives, their ministries, their careers, including their financial resources? What are they going to do with them? Well, as you know from the story, one servant invests his coin and reaps a thousand percent. That's ten times what he's been given. So in his life, he realizes a thousand percent of what God has given him, or what the king here who's representing, representative of God, God or Jesus, has given the person. Another person, just with one coin, three months' wages, he really realizes five times as much, 500% of what he's been given. And then, of course, you know the story of the third servant who takes his coin, and he's so afraid of the king that he just wraps it in a piece of cloth just so that it's there when the king comes back because he knows the king is somebody who reaps... What he doesn't sow, and he's a hard and harsh man. And at least if I can give him back what he gave me, I, you know, we can kind of call it quits. He acts out of fear and not out of faith. The first two servants act out of faith 
rather than out of fear. And what Jesus is saying to you, you see the parable. The king comes, he gives you something. He gives you the kingdom. You take responsibility for the kingdom in one sense while he's absent. Although the paradox, of course, is Jesus is still here, although he's not here in physical form. And Jesus' kingdom hasn't come in a political or a geographical sense as such yet. But one day under the new heaven and the new earth, he will come and the kingdom will be complete. There will be a consummation when Jesus returns. So in the meantime, what do the servants, that's you and me, of course, need to do? Well, let's take the third servant first. The third servant is somebody who's acting out of fear. He doesn't, he believes that the king or God, if you like, is a harsh person who, if he's given him something, would at least need to give the, you know, the king back what he gave him. So he's kind of, you know, I mean, there's, there's kind of good sense in that. That's kind of okay, isn't it? You know, God gives you life. God gives you abilities. God gives you all, all these things in life. The least I can do is kind of give them back to him when he, here I am, Lord, you know. Thank you for what you gave me. And here it is back. Ta-da! Not much to show for his life, though, is it? Here's a servant who actually doesn't believe in the goodness of God. Here's a servant who doesn't trust that he can work for his master and reap big things. Here's a servant who is so afraid that he locks himself up, if you like, almost like in a cloth. Right? He's like a Lazarus who needs to be unwrapped. <laughs> Hadn't seen that connection. That was quite... That's what I did there. <laughs> okay, get the book afterwards. Um, do you want to be like that? We can be like that, can't we? We can let fear creep into our lives. You are amazing people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are amazing You are the followers of a man who's on a royal progress. And Jesus is still on a royal progress and still welcomes sons and daughters of the king into his kingdom to be royal, anointed, amazing, glorious, stupendous, magnificent people who, are, who dare to believe that all sickness, or at least you know, most sickness, can go in their area. They can have the best health statistics in the country. You, you are daring. Amen? It's not just Pete and a few others, is it? (laughs) We're daring to believe that. And why can you dare to believe that? Because that's what God's called you to. God's called you to be a multiplier. To take what you've got and make it 500%. Or indeed, 1,000%. Or indeed, 1,500%. And so on and so forth. I don't know how many years ago, maybe 20 plus years ago, God said to me, David, you're building something too small. You need to build something ten times bigger. We were a little church of about 50 people. We're then joined with North Kent Community Church. Now we are ten times bigger. Come on. That's me in the parable. Didn't do it on my own. God doesn't want us to do things on our own, does he? He wants us to work together to, be, to see multiplication coming again and again and again. That's you. If you will accept this challenge this morning, if you will live not a life of fear, but a life of faith, if you will believe what God says about you and what you can do, 
then you can take this life that you've been given and you can multiply it. And that can work on all sorts of levels. It can work on a financial level. It can work on a relational level. It can work on a, you know, on a, an evangelistic level. It can work on just about any level that you believe. If you said to me, David, you could prophesy every day at the drop of a hat, ten years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. Why? Because I had a, I had kind of God, you know, prophecy and God in a kind of box, you know. Do you know what? I can almost prophesy every week on a Sunday. Almost. Feel like that. Get in the worship. Just, just got to get it out there. If you said to me I could go into a service station and prophesy over somebody or, or go to a shop count or anywhere, I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have even thought that was appropriate. Well, I don't know about that. Who's going to weigh that prophecy? You know, if, if I was going to do it, I'd have to take an elder with me. Oh, I am an elder. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> so I should have been able to do it. You know, weigh my own prophecies. <laughs> right? Do you see what God's done? He has released us into the community and he is multiplying what he does. So we... We have our evening school students here for, you know, a Saturday and 2,600 prophecies are released. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I think it was that, wasn't it, Mark? 2000, you know, we were kind of guessing. But, you know, if you took all the exercises and multiplied them by the number of people that are there, that's how we arrived at that. That's enormous, isn't it? And every prophecy is bringing encouragement and upbuilding. It's expanding people's thinking. It's expanding their horizons. It's making them more than they actually are. Because when Jesus comes back, he'll be looking to see how you multiplied your life. And you know, all you need to do to multiply your life, be faithful with what God gives you. Just be faithful. You don't need to fret about, well, will I ever, you know, will I ever get there, Lord? Will I ever really make something of my life? What God's given you already, whether it's leading, you know, working with our children, working with our youth, having a shift on the night shelter, coming here at the healing center, you know, whatever it is, big or small, whether you're there or whether you're leading it or whatever sort of aspirations you are, be faithful to what you have. And you know what Jesus promises in the parable? He says, those who have been given will be given more. That's how you get more, isn't it? You, you relish, you, you worship God, you thank him for what you begin. Say, thank you, Jesus, for making me me. There's nobody like me. Come on, let's say this. Nobody like me. This is not pride. This is you agreeing with God. So it can never be pride, can it? I'm not saying pride can't get in, but you know what I mean. Been on this theme before. <laughs> There's no one like you. There's no one like him. If there's no one like him and I'm like him, there's no one like me because there's no one like him. Come on, divine logic. Sure, any, any composers there? We're going to put that to a song. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. No. Obviously, that's not a gift that's going to multiply in my life for me. <laughs> Don't limit yourself, David. Don't limit yourself. Okay. We got the idea. Now, finally, you may or may not, and Pete probably will develop this more next week, but picked up on this word armada. God is calling us to be an armada. Yeah? An armada is this great array of ships. Think of the Spanish armada. Okay? 
often when God gives, brings a word like that, he loves to just kind of confirm it, doesn't he, in all kinds of interesting ways. And when we first heard that word we, away with our, our leadership, it sort of uh, kind of just tripped off our tongues and we God just doesn't want us to do little raids. This is the picture. Little raids into the enemy's ground or territory. He wants us to be an armada that can invade lands, continents. Yeah? Now, we know we won't be doing it on our own, but we, you know, we are a forerunner church, folks. Peter, I think I had that nine times. Nine times of the prophetic words. Right, that's why that's why you're always running in this church because you're forerunners. <laughs> that's why we never stand still because we're forerunners. We're always going ahead, right? And we are forerunners in this respect that we are building an armada. And the only way you build an armada is if you train up more sailors, you train up more mates, you train up more captains, you train up more admirals. You just need to multiply everything. Physical resources, spiritual resources, people resources need to be multiplied, don't they? I've flipped on the television several times and got this Armada word in a number of different occasions. So I'm watching a Dan Snow history program. And if you know the history of England, we had a very unlikable king called James II. He was a Catholic king. We'd just become very Protestant, you know, just after Henry VIII, Mary, Elizabeth. can't remember who came after Elizabeth. James the first, thank you. James the Charles the first. James, yeah, we got rid of him. Uh, Oliver Cromwell, James the second, James the second, James the second. We didn't like him. He wasn't much of a king. So there was a kind of rebellion kind of going on, and they invited James the second's sister Mary's husband. Did you follow that? William of Orange. There's a pub in Gravesend called the Prince of Orange, named after him, just along the road for me. Right? And they invited him over to be the king. He came over, Dan Snow said in his program, he came over the greatest armada that had been seen in his time. Probably even greater than the Spanish armada. And this was to bring a king. And in their terms, to bring liberty and freedom. Come on. You know when God's on something, don't you? You feel it. You think, that's it, isn't it? Flipped on the television the other day. Uh, the longest day which is a film I remember seeing when I was 12, and uh, convinced me that John Wayne won the Second World War for us. But, uh, and there's, there's this vast armada on D-Day, the greatest armada of ships ever assembled in modern history. There's the word again. And of course, that keys right in with so much of prophetic stuff that God's been teaching us, isn't he, over the years. That we will be a beachhead for freedom for not only our nation, but the whole continent of Europe and possibly beyond that as well. You've got to feel it when God's on something, haven't you? And then yesterday, a little break from Christmas activities, I went down to, uh, had a little walk around Gravesend, went along the, the river. And I don't know if you know the St. Andrew's center it's a mission chapel and there's a house next door to it which actually general gordon of local fame he taught sunday school in that house and then if you just move along there's a, there's a henry the eighth's block house right it's just the ruins the foundations henry the eighth's block house and uh this is where henry had you know even before we got to the spanish armada henry the eighth had this built to protect the river thames and then he had a fort built on the other side on tilbury there's more of that 
But there's little block houses just in front of the Clarendon Hotel, you know, the, the pub garden on, on your left, and the Port of London on, uh, Authority on your right. There's the block house. I'm reading about how Henry feared, even in his day, a Spanish invasion, an armada that would come up the Thames. In fact, there was even a boom put across the river to prevent the, or at least slow the ships down and they could fire their cannons you know, from both sides and catch them in this kind of pincer movement. And, uh, and as I'm standing there, two guys come along. And they are, I kind of move over because they're obviously going to read the, uh, you know, the information. And I just ask them, say, where are you guys from? Spain. <laughs> oh, really? You know, and they obviously had quite a good grasp of English, so we started chatting. I said, that's really funny, isn't it? I've just been reading about the Spanish Armada, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. Do you know the Spanish Armada? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, it's just as well we're friends now, aren't we? <laughs> anyway. Just another little reminder from God that he's on this word armada, isn't it? Folks, if we are going to measure up to that word, then we will need to grasp the truth of this picture of the kingdom of God that we're in, that he wants to multiply you and me. And whatever you have got, if you are faithful with what you have, if you are obedient to God, then you can multiply the gifts that you have. Because you are a people of faith and not of fear. You're not going to wrap yourself up like the third servant. You're going to release yourself into the world. Shall we stand? Just put your hand on your heart. Say, Father, multiply what you're doing in my life. Help me to be faithful with what you've given me already. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing person I am. You made me like this. To be effective in your kingdom. To be Jesus to everybody around me. Now release me, Lord. And release this church to be the armada that will spread out in this nation and impact the whole of Europe. Amen.